good fall break. Um, so two years ago, I gave a chapel talk titled Peter's Rebuke, Same-Sex Attraction and Marriage. Um, there we looked at Matthew 16, and I made a comparison between the heart of Peter's rebuke and the heart behind the position that affirms same-sex marriage as biblically permissible. My argument briefly was that both Peter and the proponents of the affirming position don't want people to suffer, which is a good thing, except for when it goes against God's design. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to it. I know some of you just recently re-listened to it um, for Christian Mind class. In the two years since that talk, um, I've had the privilege to meet with some of you and lead a group um, where we were able to talk about the implications of that talk. Um, through those meetings, those conversations, I've had the privilege to walk with you um, and hear more about that. And today, I want to pick up on that. Um, if last time we focused, focused on Peter's rebuke of Jesus, this time I want to focus on Jesus' rebuke of Peter. Um, so let's turn to Matthew 16, it's 21 through 27. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. For the things you are setting on your mind are not things of God, but of things of man." Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what should a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done." When talking about same-sex attraction in our faith, I've heard the sentiment expressed, it feels like I have to choose between who I really am and Christianity. I've heard people use this as a reason to embrace same-sex sexual behavior and identity, reasoning that it would be too cruel for God to ask someone to choose. But more than an argument, I've heard it from some of y'all. And if I'm honest, I felt it in my heart as well. Why would God ask me to deny something that feels so natural and so right? We live in a culture that says your purpose in life is to look inward, find the real you based primarily on what you desire, and demand that others celebrate it. And from this perspective, goodness and freedom is the lack of inhibition to express yourself, the lack of restraint to do whatever you desire. So when we come to scripture and we read that we have to deny ourselves and at times things we desire, we think it's heresy, a violence, an evil. How dare God not give me what I want? How could God ask me to die to who I am? And when we can't reinterpret his words, we simply reject Jesus. Well, I won't believe in a God that commands that. On the flip side, some of you who may grow up in the church think, of course, of course you have to choose between God and yourself, but you apply it all wrong. You command others and even yourself to deny yourself, like Dobby from Harry Potter. When Dobby says something wrong, he shouts, bad Dobby, bad Dobby, all the while loudly banging his head against a wardrobe or smacking himself in the face with a lamp. Some of you may laugh. Honestly, I thought that would get more laughs, so that's a bummer, but that's okay. <laughs> but I know 
Many of you think the same thing. You self-loathe. And I know in the dark isolation, in the hopes to rid yourself of the sin and shame, you've done worse. Or maybe you're even too afraid to admit the sin inside of you. Instead of self-denial, you live in the denial of yourself. You can't bear the thought of anyone, you, God, or others, to see those parts of you. So you build up walls inside of yourself, and you kill any and all desires that you feel. Both of these extremes, they miss the mark, but they don't get it all wrong. In order to choose Christ, there is a real sense in which he's calling you to die to yourself. But there is also a sense in which he's actually very much not. So how can this be? I think Jesus anticipates this in verse 25. He says, For whoever would save his life or soul will lose it, but whoever loses his life or soul for my sake will find it. Admittedly, this statement is a little confusing and seemingly contradictory. But here Jesus is employing an understanding, two understandings of ourself, our lives, and our soul. Therefore, the relevant question which one must ask is which soul and which self are we talking about when Jesus says to deny ourselves? So let me go back and explain. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived as fully integrated selves, living in harmony with God, themselves, each other, and all of creation. And after the fall, they became alienated on all four fronts. They were no longer able to see things as they really were. In losing communion with God, they lost their very selves. Instead of living in righteousness, they became, they became slaves to sin and were covered with shame. They became enemies with God by dethroning him and exalting themselves as rulers of their lives. And with all of humanity, we followed. We rejected true, our true identity and selfhood and hijacked ourselves by claiming one for our own. In our natural state after the fall, we are no longer instruments reflecting God's glory, but then our own. We traded an authentic, secure, integrated, and good understanding of self for a false, insecure, fragmented, and exhausting version of ourselves. And left to ourselves, this is where the story ends. We rejected God and chose our false selves. Our choice betrayed us, leaving us with no path to Eden to blaze on our own. However, our compassionate and merciful Father made a way back through Jesus to be restored to himself, our true selves, each other, and creation. Through Christ's work and Holy Spirit's power, we are restored to our authentic selves that experience freedom and living how we ought to live before God, worshiping and delighting in him. Some of you might hear that and you might shrug um, if you haven't already checked out, right? It might even be frustrating for some of you. Yeah, I've professed faith. I believe in the gospel promise, but I don't feel secure, rested, restored, or at peace. Every day for you feels like a battle, and it feels like one you're losing. And if this is you, if there's a war raging inside of you, you're in good company. Paul in Romans 7 picks up on the distinctions of the false self of our sinful nature and the authentic self in Christ and writes, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me waging a war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. Oh, what wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
for those of you who are in Christ, you now have two senses of self. You have the false self, the fallen self, the self clinging to our sinful nature, and then we have the authentic self, the redeemed, righteous self clinging to Christ. So, going back to the original question, does God call you to choose between yourself and himself? Yes. Jesus calls you to die to yourself. But by denying to your fa- dying to your false self, you come alive to your authentic self. Jesus calls you to a death, not to who you really are, but who you've falsely chosen to be. And in choosing this false self, you have committed your whole self, that is your authentic self, to death. But in choosing to lay down your false self, you die to a lie to be raised in truth and have your whole self, that is your authentic self, live in the glory and freedom, praising God for all of eternity. Okay, so let's put this another way. Do you have to choose between God and yourself? No. In fact, the only way to find your authentic self is in choosing God. This is how what Jesus says makes sense, right? If you cling to your false self, you'll die. But when you give it up, you'll be restored through the blood of Christ. Okay, so how do I know which false self, which is my false self or authentic self? What if my same-sex desire or any desire is coming from my authentic self? The core difference between the two selves are where they find their allegiance. The false self looks no further to its own self. Finding ourselves to be masters, we become slaves to everything we desire. Left on our own, our flesh will use our own means to take our deep desires anywhere and everywhere else but to God. On the other hand, our true selves pay allegiance to God and love him. This self takes our deepest desires to God first and everything else to be an echo of his fulfillment. Okay, so how do we test our allegiance of the selves? The best place to start is Jesus' written word, that is the Holy Scriptures. In Hebrews 4, it reads, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing even the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And when we take this along with David in Psalm 139, we ask the Lord to search us and know us, to test us in our hearts, to see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. So, equipped with scripture and the spirit acting within us, we can examine our desire to see which self we are loyal to, our false self or our authentic self. In John 14, Jesus reiterates five different times the connection between loving God and keeping his commandments. And at the end of the chapter, he even applies it to himself with God the Father. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, says our Savior. So when our desires run contradictory to what Jesus in Scripture commands, we can be certain that those desires are flowing from our false self. Because our authentic self is made to love Jesus in everything. And it is these desires connected to our false self that Jesus calls us to deny. However, our false self doesn't just create, it doesn't create desires, rather. It only distorts them. Behind every desire is a deep desire that God gave you to call him to yourself, to call him, you to himself. So then the challenge is to examine your desires with scripture in hand, the spirit in your heart, and a godly friend at your side. Ask the question, where am I taking my desires? You have to get curious and go deeper than the surface level. I find myself attracted to women. This is against what Jesus commands. So instead of shame spiraling, which is my false self's default setting, I invite God in. 
Lord, give me the power to stop seeing women that way. But I don't stop there. Through my own temptation, I invite God to show me what is true behind my desire, even though it's distorted. And this is a difficult work. Um, it's scary, and it oftentimes it's more painful. Abigail Favalli, in her recent book, The Genesis of Gender, wrote, temptation is a promise that can't deliver. Definitionally, temptation is a false promise appealing to your desires. What false promise is behind your temptation? I'll go first. In my attraction to women, one false promise is to be beautiful. I have always struggled to see my beauty. It wasn't a conscious decision, but at some point, I counted myself out of being a beautiful person. I took this deep desire and I pushed it down so deep that I couldn't feel it anymore. But as desires do, like a beach ball held under the waves, it popped out sideways. If I couldn't be beautiful for myself, then maybe, just maybe, I could get close enough to a beautiful woman and maybe her beauty would rub off on me. And maybe that would be enough. Then I could at least be beautiful by association. Do you see? This isn't about culture war fodder or merely a theological argument. For me, it's an invitation to ask the question, where am I going to take my deep desire to be beautiful? Am I going to save my life on my own and take that desire to a relationship with a woman? Or am I going to deny that path and surrender that desire to the feet of Jesus for him to tenderly hold it, purify it, and then fulfill it? Only there can I find life. A woman or really any other person or thing can't fill my deep desire to be beautiful. That's part of the temptation that can't deliver. But as I give this desire to Jesus to reorient, he meets me there. And the amazing thing is, this desire is already fulfilled in him. Um, in Psalm 139, David asks God to search him and know him, but he begins the psalm by saying he has searched him and knows him more than anyone ever could. By examining my deep desires and courageously sharing them with trusted friends and mentors, I'm able to see what's already true. God made me beautiful. It's already true about me. I am striving in all sorts of ways to get something I have always had. Even when I can't see it, Jesus looks at me and he's moved. He's moved by my beauty because he put it there. By worldly conventions, I may not add up, or at least in the ways that I want. But with the loving gaze of Jesus smiling over my beauty, all other voices fade away. Living out of my false self, untethered to Jesus, others' opinions of me, both good and bad, become distorted and dangerous. But living out of my authentic self, when people compliment my beauty, and I'm courageous enough to accept it, that is a beautiful and good gift. It's not that I stop caring about what people think. I actually don't think you can or should. No, my heart is still tender to be impacted by people, so be gentle with me. But I've tasted the resilience that comes from sitting in the Father's delight of me. Yes, other voices still impact me, but now they're filtered through what God has already declared about, true about my authentic self. I could easily share other promises um, in my same-sex attraction, my desire to be seen and loved, um, for my sensitivity to be protected by another feminine heart, or aside from my sexuality, my desire for impact and how I fear the Lord won't use me for his kingdom, that he'll just leave me on the bench, which is ironic, I know. I don't know what your temptation is or your deep desire behind it, 
Some of you may have deeply resonated and even felt exposed by my words. But for most of you, I'd imagine it's something else. And for you men, it may be an insecurity not about your beauty, but maybe your masculinity. God in his creativity has made us with rich complexity, and our sin and Satan have exploited it. So your catered temptation, it'll be alluring. It will whisper to you all sorts of grand promises. You'll hear the sirens singing sweetly in your ear to satisfy your desires on your own terms. And living out of your false self may even feel good, natural, and right. But here's where you have a choice. I think self-denial is actually a form of suffering, and at times a very intense suffering. And this suffering comes with a choice. I didn't choose to have a chronic illness. It's something I often remind God of. Yes, I can choose where to take my suffering, but given the choice, I would get rid of it without a second thought. But the call to suffer by denying myself and the desires that flow from it, oh, that I very much choose. And what's worse is it's often not a one-time choice. In Luke's account um, of this interaction, he adds the word daily. He quotes Jesus saying, if anyone would be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. But how do I do it, especially when it feels too hard? The kindness in Jesus' rebuke is the invitation to follow him. We follow in the way of Jesus, which does include self-denial and suffering, because Jesus went there first. But the dramatic tragedy is Jesus didn't have a false self to die to. He wasn't born into our sinful nature. No, instead he freely chose to take it on. He died so that we would have the power and ability to follow his lead. If you think your struggle is too painful, and you don't think you have it in you to continue on, look to Jesus, not as a way to diminish your suffering by comparison, but to give it purpose, power, and hope. And we don't just follow Jesus' lead from behind, striving as we limp along, hoping he doesn't leave us behind. No, he sends his spirit with us. In John 14, the same passage where Jesus says to love him is to keep his commandments, he gives us this hope. I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live. And just as we follow Jesus to self, to deny ourselves, we also follow him to resurrection. Without the hope of resurrection, we're most to be pitied. But we do have hope. In this life, you will be at war with your false self. You will feel like you're losing the battle, but Christ has already won the war. Your end is sure, your future is secure. And any desire, false desire, that you give up now, the Lord will fulfill the deep desire behind it to its full completion. Desires won't be a place of pain, heartache, and longing. No, instead they will be the very means of unimaginable joy, peace, and wholeness like you have never experienced. We need to steep ourselves in these truths so that when we're tempted, we're given the courage and strength to resist. But just as we pray these truths deep in our soul, I would encourage you to do so in community. In Jesus' divine wisdom, he united us both to himself and each other. He has given us each other to equip us in this battle. No, we cannot save anyone, and we can't fulfill anyone's deep desires. 
but we can point each other by the grace of God to the one who can. We can speak truth over each other, and by carrying each other to the feet of Jesus, we find him there. There is power in being connected to others while you struggle, knowing you're not alone. If you're fighting this or any other battle alone, I beg you reach out to help, for help. You are the weakest and most vulnerable when you're isolated, and Satan wants nothing more than to keep you there. Take courage. Reach out in faith. I don't know who you need to reach out to. Maybe a friend, an older member of the church, a counselor even. If you experience same-sex attraction and want a community surrounding you, I'd love to talk to you about the support group we have for students like you. But even if that's too scary, I'd love to just meet with you. If you're same-sex attracted or just have been really impacted by this talk and need someone to talk to. Friends, it doesn't have to be me. And for the grand majority of you, it won't or frankly can't be. But for the sake of your soul and the kingdom of God, invite someone to help you as you faithfully walk in Jesus' call to deny yourself. If you need more convincing, here's what's at stake. Jesus says it clearly. Your soul. Look, I don't know where you are before the Lord. But what I do know is that if you have quieted the voice of Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, and you are saving your life on your own terms, you should not rest in the comfort of salvation. I don't relish saying this, okay? In fact, I'd rather not. Um, But Jesus goes there, and it would be foolish and unfaithful for me not to follow. Apart from Christ, in our own strength, you can give nothing in return for your life. Jesus' questions are rhetorical, but the answer is damning. If you forfeit your soul for a false promise, it won't deliver. If you give your soul to anything or anyone less than your, don't give your soul to anything or anyone less than your creator and savior. If you're hearing this and there is a war inside of you between your authentic and false self, keep fighting. Dead people don't fight. This is a sign of the work of the spirit in you. Your fight is evidence of your salvation. But if you're hearing this, and you can't think of the last time you felt the pang of Holy Spirit's conviction on your heart, I would leave you with a word of warning. You can spend your whole life trying to fulfill these deep desires on your own, and Jesus says you'll lose. It won't pay out. It will lead to death. You either need to be killing your false self, or it will be killing you. If you don't deny yourself, you will deny Jesus. Receive God's invitation to die to your false self, perhaps for some of you the first time, so that in him you may find life. Friends, this call is hard. It's stupid hard. I know because I've done it and I continue to. And because I've had the privilege, and I mean privilege, of walking alongside some of you through tears, deep longing, lament, and heartache. And if you're not there now, take courage. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is a light and momentary affliction that's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Guys, and I've tasted some of that glory already. I've found goodness that is incomparable to the suffering. There is so much power in walking in the way of Jesus. I have found freedom and security in my soul that I have never thought possible. I have found wounds and aches healed that I was too scared to admit were even there. We live in an age of anxious, fragile, and fickle identities fueled by our false selves. This is an invitation to deny that self, take up power, resilience, and peace while you surrender to fully embrace your authentic self to Christ. Pray with me from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 to conclude. 
For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell within your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of Christ is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.